0: Amen. So, you know, sign up to serve. (laughs) Amen. Glad to see your faces in the building today. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be a part of a church that God uses to do such mighty things, such as she's done in Jess's life and so many other lives here today. If you're new here to, to Beacon, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We're grateful that someone who loves you enough to invite you to church was bold enough to do it. And we're just praying that today would be a day where you would encounter him afresh and anew. Some things for you to understand. While we sing gospel music, um, we we also preach a hard gospel word. You ain't going to hear nothing from this pulpit save for the truth. I did not come to tickle your ears or rub your back in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) But don't worry. We'll have fun. Also. Uh, if you hear children, that's because at this church, uh, we rent this theater, and we, we actually build a kids' ministry up there in the balcony. If you haven't seen it, every Sunday morning, a team comes in, and they build that wall, and so our, our little ones are right there. So if you hear them today, that's, that's just them doing ministry, growing in the Lord, amen? And this is what heaven will sound like. It's going to be good and loud in heaven, in case you... Didn't know, and then uh, our youth who just went across the street uh, on Fourth Sundays, Pastor Josh takes all of our middle school students across the street on Second Sundays, all of our high school students, and they literally walk right across Colfax and meet in the Goose Town Tavern. And I believe, by the power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, we will slowly but surely take over every single non-God building in this neighborhood. Amen. <laughs> We're gonna have the Prime Timers Ministry over at Mezcal and. Men's, we'll just we'll just do it. Amen. All right, I'm excited to join uh, you in a study of the Word today. If you have your Bible, say yeah. yeah. Do me a favor. Open up your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, the glorious Gospel of Saint Luke, chapter nine. We start a brand new series today. Thank you, Jesus. Today we're starting a new series in Luke chapter 9 and the title of our series is called Seeing Jesus Clearly. Our aim over the next 10 to 12, 14 weeks, whatever it takes for us to just walk through this one chapter is to come to understand, to see, to perceive Jesus more clearly. We start our study today in Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read just verses 1 through 6. And we use an ESV translation of the Bible. We believe it to be um, close to accurate. It's what's called a word for word translation. Don't worry if you have another translation. God will be in the room. His voice will be loud no matter what. Amen? Luke chapter 9, verse 1 through 6, it reads like this And he, that's Jesus, called the 12, those are the disciples, together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not even have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and there depart. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And when they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. The first message from our series on seeing Jesus clearly, this message is entitled, Your Relationship Status. We're going to talk about your relationship status today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for this word. I thank you, God, that today we get an opportunity to read the gospel to see Jesus, to see him as he interacts with those whom he loves and trusts, to hear his words. God, I ask today that you would remove any distraction, any attack, and anything that might withhold us from leaning all the way into this truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Every fall, we we dive into the book of Luke. Usually in the springs, we study an epistle. And depending on how well we finish that epistle, sometimes in the summers we'll do a study in the Old Testament, but every fall we jump into one chapter in Luke, and over the last four years we've just been kind of knocking out one or two chapters at a time. And the reason that we study Luke is I want to make sure that you always get gospel every year. We do some doctrine when we teach epistles, and we do foundation when we study the Old Testament, but I would be remiss if we as a church who glorified Jesus didn't get a chance to hear the words of Jesus in the context of the gospels about Jesus, at least for a season. And so we do it in the fall. And the reason we study the Gospel of Luke is that the Gospel of Luke was written by Luke the surgeon, a doctor. He's Greek, and he's writing to a predominantly Greek audience. So he's not writing through the lens of the Jewish ideation of the coming Messiah. He has to kind of start from basics. He's writing to Gentiles who don't even know that there's a Messiah promise, don't even know about prophecy that might be fulfilled by Jesus. They don't know nothing. So when he comes, he jots, he dots every I, crosses every T, and he doesn't miss a single detail. And I I believe that the beauty is in the details amen the thing I love about Luke is he's always writing things that the other gospel writers don't include and what we find is that within the context of his gospel those details help to illuminate the story life ministry death resurrection of Jesus and also give us clarity on how we might follow him amen and when we walked through Luke last fall we were just kind of turning a corner We'd learned about his beginnings and his ministry. We'd seen him perform some miracles, teach, teach in parable. But here in, in Luke 9, well, things begin to shift. As we'll find over the next 10 weeks, Luke is going to recount how Jesus takes this season in his ministry to pull back the veil so that his disciples and, yes, us, his church would be able to more clearly see who he is and why he is. It's not just going to be anecdotal stories or inspirational tales. This is going to be all about Jesus's Mission And what he does is he starts this mission by sending out the 12. These are the 12 disciples that we've studied before, the 12 disciples that most all of you know, the 12 disciples before they became 11, and then 12 again. This is the original 12. I like to call them the goof troop. Amen. They are, just like you and me, not super good at following Jesus. Amen. And yet, right here in Luke 9, he sends them out in mission, on ministry. And I'm not even into any of my points right now, but that should bless some of y'all who feel called and simultaneously inadequate in Jesus' name. You ever feel a knock on the door of your heart and you're like, oh, no, not me. And he's like, yeah, totally you. And you're like, do you know how wrecked I am? And he's like, yep. And then no discussion further. That's kind of what he does with the disciples. The Bible says here that he, he, he sends them out. In, in Mark chapter 6, it says that he sends them out in pairs. In, in, in the same account of this story in Matthew chapter 10, it says that he sends them out just to Israel. This is the same 12 who have been officially ordained as apostles over the church in Luke 6. These are they whom Jesus loves, whom he trusts, and with whom he's in a relationship. Hear me. I did not say these are they who are skilled, <laughs> gifted, or even able. He sends them out because they're in relationship. That's the qualification. Yeah. People meet all the time. They said, Pastor, I heard you lead a little church on Colfax. Where'd you go to seminary? And I said, well, uh, does hard knocks count as a seminary? And they said, tell me, pastor, I know you lead a little church. They always call it a little church on Colfax. That's, that's why I say it, too. I don't mind it. We're, it's fine. We're a little church on Colfax. They said, heard you lead a little church on Colfax. What's your opinion? What's your eschatology? And I'm like, eschatology? I can't even spell eschatology. They said, pastor, we heard you lead a, a little church on Colfax. Why don't you tell us about it? And I said, well, I'm so glad you asked. You see, We're just this gathering of people who are desperate to meet Jesus exactly as he wants us to meet him. And and most everybody that walks through these doors is broken and they're willing to be bold enough to admit that they're broken. And because they have that transparency and authenticity, they walk in without any presuppositions about how Jesus must work. There's not a lot of ego in our room. For some reason, when people come to Beacon, they come ready to change. And then guess what? God's faithful to change. And so at our little church on Colfax, I see life change. I see healing. I see deliverance. I see salvation. I see the lost be found and captives come home. So, bishop, apostle, tell me about your little church. There is no qualification for ministry save for your relationship with Jesus. Amen. And that's where we're going to start this conversation today about this relationship with Jesus. Our whole conversation will hopefully point you to ask what is my relationship with Jesus? Now, relationships are very important because they're formative. In fact, they're transformative. Anytime someone enters into a new relationship, they change. Amen? Amen. You ever meet somebody that's in a new relationship and you can just tell before they say anything? They walk into work and they're like, how are you? And you're like, what's wrong with you? Why are you dancing while you're walking? I met somebody. Or how many of you have, uh, you know, kids that are in the dating years, and, and they're in a new relationship, and you're pan Is it just me currently panicked about relationships with my young people? Or, or how many of you have ever met somebody, and you've met somebody, and they're in a relationship, and it's not new to them, but new to you. And, and, and you meet them, and they say, hey, it's good to see you. This, this is Sarah. And you think to yourself, well, Who is Sarah? Because when people are in relationships, it not only changes them, but it changes your perception of them. It helps you to understand where they are. Because if, 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 if Joe and Sarah are in a relationship, I know how to interact with them. If they're not, I know what not to do when I interact with them. Amen? And, and so usually you say things like, so how, how do you all, how, when did this, what's the... And usually they'll say, we, we, we met, we've been dating, it's, it's gone great. Sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll tease you and they say, this is my partner, Robert. And you're like, partner, okay. Um, they do business to get, no, they're, uh, be Christian, be, uh, you know, you, sometimes you just, you don't know. Because we're relational people, relationships matter. And when we enter into relationships, they, they can change us and change the world around us, Amen. The same is true of your relationship with Jesus. A real relationship with Jesus, as Pastor Jose Gomez told us last week, should include a before, amen? And y'all remember? And he said, an, and an after. There should be a version of you before Jesus that is different than the version of you after Jesus. Any good relationship will bring about change in your life. And the same is true with a relationship with Jesus. A good relationship with Jesus should have produced some difference in you. He should take some things away from you. Amen. And you said, I I love Jesus, but he better not not take nothing away from me. I'm your pastor. I'm going to tell you, yes, he better. I've met you. There's some things Jesus needs to take away from you. And simultaneously, a relationship with Jesus also includes some things that he adds to you. Amen? And you said, no, I'm good just the way I am. No, you are not. A relationship with Jesus is meant to both remove some parts of your life and add some things to your life and change the way that you relate to all other things in your life. I'm going to say this again because I don't want you to miss this, okay? A relationship with Jesus should add some things, should subtract some things, and change the way you relate to all other things. And here's what I'm trying to get to you today. A relationship with Jesus should be paramount, should be first, should be primary, You should not be a sometime Christian. You should not be sometimes faithful. People should ask you, do you have a faith? And you should say, first and only, I love Jesus. Not change the answer by the question asker. Amen. Our relationship with Jesus has to be the number one relationship. You said, whoa, pastor, that's that's a big, that's a lot. That's a lot. You're trying to tell me to upend my whole life and be a Jesus freak? Ready? Ready? Yes. I am trying to tell you, and anyone in this room who has walked this road will agree with me. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You, you you hear me, you don't know just how good a relationship with Jesus is, lest you pour your whole life into it. People I meet all the time, and they're like, I just don't get it. Things aren't working. I go to church. I do the thing, ba 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 and it's not changing. And I'm asking them, what's your relationship with Jesus like? Can you hear his voice? Are you talking to him? Are you daily engaged? And the answer is always no. Why? Because when you do the faith thing halfway, you don't get all the way with Jesus. You don't get all of Jesus if you make him sit on the shelf of your faith on Sundays. I'm a Christian on Sundays, but every other day I'm not. And I want all that you have for me just going to give you a little bit. Of me. It's not the way it works. Amen. If you leave with nothing today, you should walk out and say, Jesus has to be first or he's nothing. Amen. And so here's Jesus about to change the world. And he starts to change the world by sending out these disciples. The qualification for these disciples is that they're in a relationship with him. And he begins this conversation by alluding to what he will give them before he talks about what he will take away from them on this journey. He's talking to them about their relationship with power. The Bible says this, he called the 12 together. There's their relationship. Amen. And he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now let's talk about this for a second because power and authority are some Strange world. I I love this church. It's my distinct pleasure to be a part of this church. We intentionally lean in to the city because most churches aren't here. I feel called to the city. I love this city. I nearly died in this city and I feel like I'm called to bring this city back to life. And, and, and as a church, we look untraditional and we welcome a lot of people who, who don't fit into other churches. I meet people all the time, they're like, I go to church and I was over there and I just didn't feel like I belonged. And I'm like, great, do you feel like you belong here? And they're like, you got more tattoos than I do, dude. Welcome home. But what happens is when, when God gathers misfits... when god gathers people who've been hurt and broken most of us have suffered and experienced some really unhealthy relationships in terms of our relationship with power and authority maybe I'm, i hope i'm talking to the room but some of us really struggle with with those terms Warren Wiersbe is a theologian who who worked at Moody Bible College for many years. He said, according to the biblical standard, power is the ability to to carry out a task. And authority is is the right to carry out a task. And in order for power and authority to be legitimate, they must not be abused. Amen? But the problem is that because... Anyone who's still living according to their sin, living in a fallen world, when given even the most modest level of power or granted the most minimal level of authority, will exert that power or authority through the lens of their fallen sinful man. Amen? You know somebody in your life that has power and doesn't do it well? How many of you have a boss that ain't so good at being a boss? If you're somebody's boss and got invited today, I love you. We're not talking about you. <laughs> you've experienced this in your own life. You, you've been around somebody who has power or authority. And they just wield it haphazardly. And it's hurtful and it's painful. Most of us, let's be honest, we resent people in positions of power because they've misused it. And it's cost, caused us to feel less than able when we're around them. Amen? Because if power is the ability to accomplish a task, when people misuse power, it means that we feel disabled when we're around them. We we feel minimized and we feel hurt. Or or some of us, we we, we don't resent power, we resist authority. When someone comes in and they have all of the authority in the room, maybe they have the authority to hire or fire or make a decision about you, we don't don't resent them, we we resist them, we we, we stay away from them, we, we, we push back a little bit. Because a lot of times when people misuse authority, we feel like our rights have been stripped. Do you you ever had somebody in your life who who had authority and you knew they shouldn't have had that authority? And then they come and they start making decisions and there's nothing you can do about it? It's because in a fallen world things like power and authority will always be corrupted. And yet... The Bible says that Jesus called the 12 together, fallen as they may be. And the first thing he does is he gives them power and he gives them authority. He gives them the ability and the agency or the right to go out and do supernatural things. Here's why. Despite the fact that this world is full of corrupted power, there is still but one who has power over all things. He is the all sufficient one. In him is all of the power necessary to create, to give life, to condemn, and to judge. And he does not just wield this power, he also gives this power to us. And this is the difference. Between the way in which God relates to power and the way the world relates to power. In the world... Power is to be guarded, protected, held dear, and wielded with an iron force. I have the power, and I won't let go of the power. Amen? And the fight is always for who's in control, who's the leader, who has power. But in the kingdom, which is always inverted and flipped upside down, the one who comes in all power comes that you and I might have life and have it more abundant, comes that you and I might have power to fulfill what God's called us to do. God is a giver, and he even gives power. So when you're here and I talk about power and authority and you're like, I don't really like, you should change your relationship with power because you serve the one who has all power and you aren't in opposition to power, you possess power. If I was in a Pentecostal church, I would just run around right now during that part. I'd say, I need all my power filled folks right here. I think the thing that's really hard for a lot of us is to consider that he would trust us with power. Because most of us never see it exerted well. Now, here's the thing. So that you understand that I, I, am, I am well studied here. This conversation between Jesus and the apostles and this delegation of power is uniquely and just for these disciples. Amen. Right here. It says he gives them power to accomplish the following. But he doesn't just give power To these 12. Ephesians reads like this. Let me show you something because I don't want you to miss this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Ready? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Ready? And he put all things under his feet and he gave him as head over all things and he gave him to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You didn't know. That you had all power. Did you? See, it gets real quiet there because you're starting to think about your own life and how powerless you might feel. Because you think power is something to be earned, something to be found, but here's the deal power is possessed by your king and him alone. And he gives it to whomever. He chooses, and those whom he chooses to give it to are not qualified or gifted or beautiful or wonderful or rich or prestigious. They are in relationship with him. This word right here says that God the Father gave all power to Jesus the Son. He set him over all things, all things. What things? All things. He's over all things, and then he gave Jesus to the church to be the head and we the body. Now, I've never met anybody who can exert power without first thinking about the power. Yes. You know how the body works, right? If your arms move without your brain connected, we got an issue here. Amen. But the way that your body works is when your body needs to move, your head makes the direction. You have power, not in your muscle, but in your brain. It's in the connection between head and body where power truly happens. And what I'm talking about today is for you to understand that power is not bad. Power is yours when you are in relationship with Jesus. We're just going to wait for just a second because I need you to think about the things that you're powerless over right now. I can't get sober. I'm never going to get out of this relationship. I can't find a new job. I'm stuck in the same cycles of behavior. I dug a hole I'm never going to get out. I'm going to tell you right now that every one of those things that you face in your life over which you feel powerless, everything that you feel like has already defeated you, my God, if we could do this, please, Lord. The devil is lying to you. Let me just say that to you. You think you can't get sober? That's a lie. You think you can't find love, that's a lie. You think you'll never get out of this dead-end job? That's a lie. You think you'll never find a job? That's a lie. You think you're stuck? That's a, I hope you're preaching with me today. You think you're broken? That's a lie. You think you're, you're, you're afflicted? That's a lie. You think you're stuck? That's a lie. The truth of the matter is, is that you have all power because he has all power. And in him I live and move and have my being. I'm not reliant on my power. i got God power. So when I stand and face every affliction and every attack that the enemy throws at me, I say greater is he who is in me than all of this together. Amen. Now I'm looking for some real people who are looking for some real power. Because I don't know if I've met anybody yet in our church who walks in and they're like, doesn't matter what happens to me, I got Jesus and I'm good. But I'm telling you right now, that's actually possible. We could be the church full of people who ain't afraid of nothing, who ain't worried about the attack of the enemy. When the flood comes in, we say things like, I'm good, don't you worry about me. Three of you. Four, five, six. I'm sweating, you guys. Come on. You need to change the way you think about your relationship with power. You are not powerless. You are not weak. You are not lost. You are not defeated. You have the victory. We are more than overcomers. Amen? Oh, if you could get this, things would change in your life. You get that bad email that says, we're going to let you go. And you say, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) I've been here too long, man. Lord. You get that message that says you were not approved for the credit card. Hear me. That is a blessing. Take it from me. Amen. They say, you you don't qualify for a $15,000 credit limit. That's just one more bill I ain't got to pay. Come on now. I'm telling you, you got the victory if you can just trust Jesus, lean in, and he will lead the way. Amen? Amen. Let's move on real quick. All right, so we're talking about power. Our relationship with Jesus changes the way we have a relationship with power. We come to understand power better. And then, watch this, Jesus is talking to these sweet goofball disciples. And he says to them, take nothing on this journey. He says, I'm sending you out. Two by two, to your home countries. I've given you all the power necessary to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've given you all of the authority to condemn and to, he, to, to send out every demon. I've given you everything that you need to heal the people in need. And when you go, take nothing. And he says this. He says, don't take a staff or a bag or bread or money. Don't even take tun- t- tunics. Modern day, he would have said don't take a car or a purse or snacks. <laughs> Ladies, don't take three cups of drinks. <laughs> Do you, you have a coffee, a Stanley, and another drink, and we're taking all that into this? No car, no purse, no snacks, no credit card. Right. And this one's going to get you. It says, don't take two tunics. Ready? Modern day. Don't take any clean underwear. (laughs) Read your Bible. That's what a tunic is. Tunic is a soft cloth worn underneath the cloak. It's the undergarment. It's soft and it's often changed because it has odor. Just like every mother in the house is like, make sure you have clean underwear. Jesus says, don't worry about your underwear. (laughs) That's wild, right? Here's what he's saying. I want you to rethink your relationship with stuff, with possessions. I'm gonna call you out on a mission, and I need you to trust me on the mission. And if it means that I need to take everything away from you while you're on mission so that you trust me, then we're gonna do that too. Because, boo, I don't need you trusting in anything but me on the mission. That's right, that's right. Here's the thing Jesus is trying to make sure that they understand that truly being called and answered by God for the call means that you will have to be God-reliant and willing to be humbly helped. He goes on and he says, wherever you go, if they let you stay at their house, just stay at their house. Don't look for a new house, just chill. If they offer food, eat the food. Don't deny the food. If they have you sleep on a futon, sleep on the futon. If they have you in a nice bed, sleep on a nice bed. If you have to crash on the floor, crash on the floor. I got you. And anybody who feels called to mission, let me just tell you this right now. This is actually what it means to be called into ministry. Being called into ministry oftentimes meaning, <laughs> hey, this is going to be really hard. But I'm really good. I'll have you every step of the way if you trust me. Now, this teaching is not new to these disciples. This is a universal principle of our faith. It's important for you to know that everywhere throughout the text, we're taught about our relationship to possession, stuff, money. Let let me show you this. It's in in 1 Timothy. This is chapter 6. The apostle Paul writing to his spiritual son in the first letter that he writes him when he becomes a new pastor, he says in 6.6, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. We have nothing into the world. We can't take anything out of the world. We brought nothing into the world. We can't take anything out. But if we have food and clothing, these will be, we will be content. Now, there are those who desire to be rich and fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge the people into ruin and destruction. Ready? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Let's set the context. Stuff is not bad. Amen? Money is not bad. How you relate to stuff, possessions, and money is important, amen? What you rely on is important. Here's the deal. I'll just break it to you right now so you know what kind of church we are. (laughs) Ready? God does not want you rich. Is that how quiet that God? Shoot, wait, where am I? Hear me. God does not want you rich. God wants you holy and on mission. Now you can be rich and God can bring an increase into your life. But he'll never make you rich or bring an increase if you fall out of holiness and fall off mission. You with me? You said, but I want to be rich and on mission. Great. Get on mission. Let's see what God does. Amen. The problem is, is that most of us, when we get rich, we go on vacation. Amen? If I were to tell you right now you just won $10 million, it is very likely that you would not be like, first thing we're doing is building an orphanage, I'll tell you that much right now. We're going to start printing up Bible tracts, and I'm hitting the street day in and day out. I'm going to work tirelessly until every red cent of that money is spent for the kingdom of God. That is not what you will be saying. Amen? You're like, $10 million. I'm quitting my job tomorrow. Watch this. It's going to go viral. And then, and you start layering up all the things that you're going to do. Because the problem is that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. How you perceive possessions, how you relate to possessions translates to how you perceive who's in control and how you relate to what rules your life. I'm wearing a watch today. I don't wear watches very often. I have three watches and each of my watches was given to me as a gift. This one was given to me by uh, Brian and Vincenza. I have another one that's wood and black. It was given to me by by Jason. I have a a black one, Casio. has like a calculator on it. Geo gave it to me. It's awesome. Um, I'm not much for jewelry, um, and watches, they're kind of obsolete, aren't they? I mean, you have a phone, phone has a clock. Watches are, in general sense, just kind of accoutrement, amen? They're just for funsies. And this week, I, I bought a watch online. It's not here, it's coming hopefully Monday. I, I, bu- I bought a watch online for funsies. It's a $49 watch. Now, I want you to pay attention to how you relate to me. I ordered a $49 watch. It's a sensible amount of money. In fact, for a watch, that's kind of a cheap watch. Am I right? But a $49 watch will likely do the job. And hopefully, as long as the clasp works, I'll, I'll be able to keep that watch with me. And if I wear that watch, it would just mean that I had a watch on. Something to tell time. No big deal. Now, if I were to tell you that the watch that I ordered, let's say it wasn't a $49 watch. Let's say the watch that I ordered was, was uh, stainless steel on the case, and, and it, um, it had three dials on the side. It was black on the front, and it had the words uh, Daytona Cosmograph on it. Let's, let's say I, I ordered that watch, a, a Rolex Daytona. Now, hallelujah. Now, that's, that's not a, a $49 watch, is it? No, no, that watch is $27,000. If I, if, if I wore the $49 watch on Sunday, you'd be like, he's so cute. He's like such a minimal pastor. They drive a little Subaru, and he has a $50 watch. He's adorable. <laughs> but if I wore the Rolex today, well, wouldn't it change how you thought about me? Wouldn't you say, wait, they keep asking for money at this church. That's an expensive watch. Amen? (laughs) What's this dude doing with the money? Amen? You see how your relationship with me changed based on my relationship with stuff. Did you see that? How you felt different. What if the watch that I bought both said Rolex Daytona Cosmograph and it was $49? Now would you feel even more different Wouldn't it be weird that I wore a watch that cost a sensible amount, in fact, a minimal amount of money, but that watch was made to look like I had spent a lot of money? Isn't it interesting that suddenly one watch could give such different emotions between you and me? In one, you'd think I was sensible or broke. Amen. In another, you would think I was either independently wealthy or a thief. And in the third, you would have thought... He's kind of obsessed with the wrong things. I bought a watch that's all three. I wanted to bring it today, and it didn't come. I was so disappointed. It's in Atlanta in customs. But we're family, so I'm going to wear it next week, and don't you say nothing to me, did you? Let me wear my watch. The reason I share this with story with you is because I want you to understand that possessions can have power. Power in, in us, power in our hearts. Oh, if I just had this car, if I just had this home, then I'd be. Or power from possessions can be in us. How many of you have related whether or not someone was worth dating based on how much money they made? I mean, he's awesome. He loves Jesus, but he's broke, girl. He is broke, broke, broke. He ain't got nothing but the joy of the Lord in his pockets. And she still loved me. She met me, and I was a baroque. When Chanel met me, I had a $49 watch. It was the most expensive thing I had. Here's the deal. Stuff is not a big deal until it becomes a big deal. And because we have a weakness for things that help define us, sometimes stuff takes the place. It helps to change the way we think about ourselves and others. And so Jesus, when he calls the disciples and us on mission, as he says, take nothing. Just trust me. Now let me make a little caveat here, okay? The Lord will always provide for you when he calls you. Wherever there's a vision, there's always provision. But hear me, he does not provide where he does not call. Right now, you might feel like you need to run. But if God didn't call you, there is no provision in the running. Amen. God, I want to break this to you, might be providing for you right where you are. Your desire is to be in relationship and be called by him to and when and where he calls you to. That's where the provision is. Why? Because what he cares about is your relationship with him. He cares that you're growing in him. He cares that you're on mission. The stuff is not the source. It's the resource that God uses so that you can fulfill the calling on your life. Amen? All right, let's move on. Last point I got. Good grief. All right, we got six minutes. Let's do this. So, uh, we talked about power. We talked about possessions. Let's talk about this last part, which I think is super cool. In verse 5, Jesus says to the disciples, Now, wherever you go and they don't receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus is talking to the disciples about their relationship with people. He's saying, Here's what you need to understand. You're going to go some places. <laughs> and you're going to tell them about me. Oh, boy. You're going to try to pray for some people. Peter's going to lay hands. It's going to get wild. <laughs> Not everybody's going to like it. And the phrase that Jesus uses is an, actually a, a, an Aramaic phrase translated into Hebrew, spoken by Jesus in Aramaic, uh, and then written here in the Greek by Luke. And the phrase to shake the dust off your feet is a euphemism to say, when it's time to go, you go quick and without notice. Jesus is essentially telling the disciples to ghost people. How many of you are a fan of the Irish exit? Y'all ever heard that before? I have some Irish in my blood so I can say that. You ever go to a party and then it's time to leave the party and you're just gone? Do you do that? I love that. Oh, I love that. I love to be home before the party's over. My wife is Hispanic. Oh, no, no. If we, if, if we want to leave when I want to leave, she needs to start saying goodbye when we arrive. We're there. See you later. See you later. See you later. And then we're out. What Jesus is saying in this moment is there's going to be some environments that you're in where you, you don't have to apologize. You don't have to justify, you just need to go. You can ghost those who are resistant to the Holy Ghost. The term is is this, to shake the dust off your feet was, was a term used by Jewish men when they would travel through Gentile territory, and when they had got to the edge of the Gentile territory, about to enter back into their homeland, they would literally shake the dust off their feet. So there's a symbol to the Gentiles behind them that we may have traversed through your land, but nothing from you is on us. We're still holy and chosen and set apart. Not even the residue of your filth is with us. Jesus says, I'm going to send you into the world to tell the people about me, to heal, to deliver, and to cast out demons. And when people don't like it, thing for Jesus to say. See, you often think of Jesus as gentle and sweet, and oh, come unto me all ye who labor, suffer me the little children, and He is all that. And Jesus is bad to the bone. Because what he's saying to the disciples is, you walk into these places and you give them the good news, and then if they don't like the good news, you did everything that you could, go where the news is heard. Now, the reason that this is so hard for us is because we want Jesus to be soft and gentle. And the reason this is so practically hard for us is because we want to be so soft and gentle. How many of you really struggle to share your faith? How many of you have memorized a one to two minute presentation of the gospel that you can share in the grocery line or at the DMV or with your coworker that includes phrases like, lest you repent of your sins and put your full trust in Jesus, you will die. How many of you are willing to say that? How many of you have said that? Don't worry, you're home. I haven't. That's freaky. Amen. (laughs) That's scary. You don't don't want to be at your son's football practice and someone's like, you go to church, lest you repent of your sins, you shall perish. (laughs) Way to go, Timmy. Hurst down. Amen. And the reason that we don't want to do that is because we're afraid of the reaction. Amen. We're worried about what people might think if we're not as soft as a dove, if we're not just tender. I love Jesus. You should come to church or don't. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Find your truth. Don't find your truth. There's one truth. And if you don't know the truth, you're about to die. I came here to tell you the truth. He sent me to this room. You may not like it. You might be offended. But the only thing that I can do if I really love you is to tell you the truth. And if I don't tell you this truth, you're going to die. I love you. He's real. He died. He gave you life. Turn from your wicked ways and run to him. That's the level of desperation that Jesus is trying to get to the disciples. And if they say no, you go. We're afraid we're going to be rejected, amen? We're afraid we're going to be ridiculed or fired. We're afraid we're going to lose about, we're going to lose these, these Relationships that mean so much to us. Jesus says, you're, you're gonna be ridiculed. Remember, they they hate me first. He says, You're gonna be rejected. Remember, the, the stone, the builders rejected, became the chief cornerstone. He says, They're gonna turn from you, they turn from you, from me. They're gonna persecute you, they persecuted me. They're gonna do all of these terrible and wicked things. But they still have to hear the truth. See, you're always thinking about your relationship with other people. What if I tell them about Jesus and what will I lose? And the truth of the matter is that's the wrong way to think about your relationship with people. It's not about what you would lose. It's about what they're losing. It's about what they stand to gain. You said, but I don't know how to share the gospel. Start telling your story. What has he done? You've got to tell people about Jesus. They're dying right now. I can't tell you how many people who are connected to this church have died in the last year, have died, and we missed it. Some of them we led to Jesus, and some of them we missed. And I don't know who you love in your life that doesn't know Jesus, but they've got to know Jesus, and you've got to be willing to risk the fact that they might be angry when you tell them the truth, but you've got to tell them the truth. And if they turn their back from you, though it hurt, the mission has to go forward. Amen. So here's what you need to know. And we're closing. Van, y'all can come up. Jesus calls you by name. By your name. He's he's perfectly chosen you. And he calls you day and night to a deep and abiding relationship with him. The invitation is plain and simple. Come and see. The invitation is straightforward and real. Follow me. And he invites you to this relationship because you desperately need this relationship. And when you walk in this relationship, he turns you and says, now go and tell everybody else about me. And if you miss this relationship with Jesus, you'll miss your relationship with power. If you don't know how much you're loved and how much you're held dear, then you won't understand just how much power is within you when you walk in Jesus' name. If you miss this relationship with Jesus, you'll totally mess up your relationship with possessions because you'll find no fulfillment in a conversation with God because it's all religion. If you're not walking in relationship with him, you'll try to heal the hole in your heart. You'll try to fill what's empty with things like watches and cars and houses and sex and drugs. You'll try to make things make you feel better. If you miss this relationship with Jesus, you'll miss your relationship that should be proper with people. You'll think they hold the keys to your heart. And they don't. He does. And he's given you the kings to open the door of heaven for everyone you know. And it starts with a relationship with Jesus. Amen. Would you do me a favor? Would you would you bow your head with me real quick? I want to pray something today. You're here. You said, Pastor. I've never heard it like this. I, I've been religious. I've been in church. I, I, I just don't know what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus. I want power. I, I want to... I want to be free from the curses of this world. I want to be free from the curses of these relationships and the things of this world. I I want I want to be able to go after all that God has for me. And I want to be loved like Jesus loves. That's you here today. I want to invite you right where you are. No pomp and no circumstance. But would you just, if you want to start a relationship with Jesus today, would you just start by slipping up your hand? All over the room. There it is. Keep your hand up. If that's you today and you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to say yes for the first time or you want to start anew, would you raise your hand? Right room, right word. Here's the deal. Church, we're going to pray a prayer together. This is not the end prayer. This is the beginning prayer. You can put down your hands. Would you repeat after me, Father God, I am a sinner. But I believe that Jesus is a Savior. Jesus, I believe that you lived, that you died, that you took my sin and my shame. And today I repent. I give you all of my issues. Take them from me. Make me new. Live in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet?